0: This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing human beings. Kara Shamborsky. Hey. And Tia Vasilio. Hello. How have you both been? How have comic books been? I'm curious about all of that stuff. This has been such a crazy afternoon. I want to know how you're doing and what comic books you've been reading. So let's start with Kara.
1: So I saw Black Panther for the third time last night. And every single time I've seen it, I have a different favorite character. And this time my favorite was M'Baku. And everything he said I found hilarious. And my friend who I saw it with told me after the film that she knew whenever something funny was coming. Because I started laughing before they said the line. So maybe (laughs) I shouldn't see repeat films with people who haven't seen them before. And also, I know I've said this before, but... It's been a decade of Marvel films. How do people still not know that there are always after credit scenes? Literally the entire theater got up as one and left as soon as the credits started rolling and missed both of yeah. the Black
0: Panther ones. I you know, I genuinely ask the same question when I go to those movies because I'm like, you know it's coming. What are you doing, you fools?
1: I like I think at this point I have to make a giant poster That says, there are post credit scenes. Marvel movies always have post credit scenes. Don't leave the theater. Thank you for your attention, which would be like five or six posters in order to make it visible at the back. But like that would be my public service for the week.
0: See, I imagine you hold it up at the front of the theater WWE style. Like this is actually happening. There is a post credit scene.
1: There is always a Marvel post credit scene you peasants thank you <laughs> like you non nerds how do you not know this and then so at the last the last post credit scene no spoilers i promise the dude behind me started explaining it to his mom while it was happening So instead of everyone being able to hear the dialogue, he was just loudly explaining the backstory of what was going on. And I was like, dude, I appreciate you trying to explain to your mom so she knows what's happening, but can't you wait for the 30 seconds it will take for this to be completed and then tell her so she can actually hear it? So frustrating.
0: Wait till after the scene happens and they go into the actual credits before the second teaser.
1: Exactly. I was like, why is this happening? Why must we do this? The the theater was definitely the most rambunctious theater I've been to in maybe years. Tia, you would have set the place on fire because there were at least four (laughs) children who were talking the whole time. Five different cell phones went off during the course of the film. Someone started talking on their phone in the alley that you walk into to enter a theater. Like we could all hear it. You should have just... I know you're trying to see the film, but we can all hear you trying to, like, organize your nephew's birthday. Why does this need to happen right now? (laughs) Anyway, so I'm glad that I saw the film prior to seeing it at this particular showing because I would have just been so angry and distracted at all of these inconsiderate things happening around me. People are horrible. They don't deserve nice things like Black Panther. (laughs) (laughs) It was not great. Very true. Uh, But in terms... But in terms of of comics this week, I actually read a graphic novel from, I think, 2004 called Blankets by Craig Thompson that was published by Top Shelf, I think. And a friend got it for me as a gift a while ago, and I just hadn't gotten around to reading it, but I did. And it looks very intimidating because it's 500 pages, but it only took me about an hour and a half to go through. And it's an autobiographical story about the creator's adolescence and uh, dealing with having been raised in a very religious family and trying to figure out if he wants to do something with that beyond high school. At the same time, exploring a long distance relationship he's forming with a girl he met at like Jesus camp. And how sometimes you can love a person but not want to be with them or want to be with a person and not love them and just how those different relationships between them and their respective families played out. is very well done.
0: Nice, nice. I, I That's like one of those books that's on every single list of must-reads, you know?
1: Yeah, with good reason. It, I got to the end of it and had nothing but nice things to say about it. It's very satisfying and had a good mix of literal and figurative illustration i thought there was a lot of what comics can do very well which is evoke a mood maybe more Mm -hmm. so than setting a scene if that makes sense
0: yeah yeah totally
1: so there was a lot of that highly recommend blankets by craig thompson
0: cool well tia what about you how have you been how have comic books been all that
2: I've been good. Um, I t- so you know how like spin is used to be the trendy like workout thing that people would do, and uh, you like go to like a discotheque but with uh, like workout uh, stationary bikes. Uh, apparently the new thing is is erging so i went to this place on the west side where it's what like is that uh it's like it's row it's like a rowing machine oh okay yeah i've never heard um, it called are, that before yeah those are called ergs um, okay so <laughs> i it's went like- last week to one and took a, a like You know, it was so yeah. It was like the music and the like flashing lights. It was literally that scene in Kimmy Schmidt. Only the instructor wasn't on the toilet, Um, and (laughs) I rode until I thought I was gonna puke, and then I like got past that, and then I like felt like I was having a transcendent experience because of the endorphins that were like bathing my brain. So it was nice. And then the next day, my back looked like She Hulk. Yeah.
1: Yeah, rowing is one of the best workouts you can be doing, but For it sure. takes a
2: lot out of you. That's my new operation—look like a superhero activity.
0: Nice. <laughs> I, I'm, just you know, I, I feel like calling it erging just kind of adds a weird picture in my head. I don't know <laughs> where that comes from.
2: I don't know. Look, I mean, crew is one of those sports that I feel like rich white. Waspy New Englandy type people do, you know and they oh, have yeah. they oh, like yeah. have weird words for things
0: some sort of Scandinavian influence or something like that
2: and they they do it at like dawn. so
1: they're just they're horrible people, okay?
0: They, yeah what they yeah. yeah. a
1: rowing facility in my hometown a couple years ago. And so last summer when I was back with my parents for a while, I thought about maybe doing that for the summer. And the second I looked at the prices, I just kind of slammed my computer shut. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. like, how? <laughs> it's stupidly expensive.
2: I don't think I would enjoy actual rowing because you have to go outside, but um, inside of a disco room, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not on What comic books have Sorry. you been reading, though? No, that's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm super into this conversation, though, because I just have a lot of questions around, like, what a class even entails and why people do that to themselves, but... I'm also curious about what comic books you've read.
2: So last week on the show, I said I was looking forward to Kid Lobotomy number six, which I mm-hmm. read, and it definitely was amazing. This is um, by Peter Milligan and Tess Fowler. It's being put out by Black Crown, which I love all of their books. Like, they're so, yeah. they're so punk rock, and I love it. And so this says it's number six of six, and I don't know if it's the end of the series or just the arc and I mean the way that it got wrapped up the type of series the type of story that it is it wouldn't surprise me if it's the end but also I can see how they would continue kids journey and so basically I hope that they do but you know I love a good miniseries and Mm -hmm. this is such a dense miniseries in terms of like the kind of literary and artistic references that it plays with. And just because kid is such an unreliable narrator and there's such a surrealist vibe to the story, you could reread these six issues for like a year and still get something new out of them every time. So, you know, I could live with it if they don't continue it. But something that that really struck me with this number six is just how Really poetic the writing is. I actually haven't read a ton of Peter Milligan, but I know that he's really good at poignant stuff that just kind of gets you right in the heart. And this is certainly not any uh, any different. It, you you read it, and the beautiful way that he puts words together It's just like it it it—they're so good that it hurts. I don't know if other people get like that response when something is just so beautiful and perfect, but I do, mm-hmm. and I love it. And, and, you know, I think that Tess Fowler's art is, I had a hard time really describing I feel like it's slightly more prosaic, but in a way that is really necessary as a complement to the writing. And it makes the surreal stuff a lot more punchy and a lot more meaningful. Like there's dream sequences that are very sort of stylized and nonsensical And so you can't have the whole book be like that. And I think that Tess Fowler is really good at knowing when to draw it straight versus kind of go for broke with the surrealism. And the Kafka symbolism is very heavy in here. Like there's the cockroach and they talk about Kafka and there's Kafka shows up in his dream and all of this. Um, Of course, the references are mostly pointing at Metamorphosis, which is about a character who wakes up and he's been turned into a giant insect and he has all of these conflicts with his father and his sister which are also main components of the story in kid lobotomy and Mm -hmm. um, it kind of speaks more broadly about the struggle of the artist in society that doesn't understand them or doesn't care about them so those parallels are really strong and if you really wanted to dig into kid lobotomy Read Metamorphosis. It's a short story or like a novella or some, uh, yeah. some, You know, it's not too long. And then go back and read Kid Lobotomy again. I think you'll get a lot out of it. And the other thing that is really uh, strong throughout is this kind of Dada-esque absurdity where like totally nonsensical things are really meaningful. And, you know, Dada came from a sort of discussed... Uh, over the horrors of World War I and a kind of perceived degradation of society in the modern era. And it speaks to a lot of themes of like subjectivity and mediating really painful realities within our own minds and trying to create buffers, but that we ultimately need to overcome them because they kind of become their own kind of prison. That's really what I got out of the finale of Kid Lobotomy and it was really beautifully done.
0: That's awesome. I I need to catch up on that series. I read the first two issues. I just haven't had have sat down and actually done it yet. It's good to hear that it ends really well.
2: Yeah, yeah. You can read the whole one through six. And I think, um, you know, it would, it would probably be pretty dense for one sitting. But if you had like an empty afternoon on a weekend, just like sit down and go for it.
0: That's great. So we'll all have to look forward to the trade. If you haven't read the single issues, at least. How about you, Mike? My week's been kind of all over the place, it's been, I've stretched some brain muscles I didn't know that I had, so basically I didn't want to read or do anything when I came home from work outside of like one day. So I haven't read a lot, but I did, like this is, I haven't been on the show I feel like in weeks, or at least I wasn't on last week, so this is also some of the stuff I read last week. I sat down and read Q Volumes 1 and 2, which is a cool volleyball manga. I read Department H number 23 and 24, which are the last two issues of the series, and Holy Moly, What an Ending. I'll just say that. Matt Kent and Charlene Kent, Power Couple Forever. I also read Planetary Volume 4 last night. Um, so th- never read Planetary before, so I sat down and finally read that. What a mindfuck. Uh, but really the book that I want to talk about is Is This Guy For Real, which is a, bo- a book by a- Box Brown all about Andy Kaufman, who was a comedian in the 70s and 80s, who his biggest shtick was he was constantly trying to, play a joke on the audience that he was entertaining Um, and some people took it as a joke some people took it as offensive he was kind of an asshole but he had this whole magic aura about him and box brown does a really good job of breaking things down and saying you know andy Kaufman wasn't a god he was just a guy that was looking for the ultimate joke and he never found it before he died and so the book itself, is it, it functions like a lot of other Box Browns, other books, where it's a documentary about a specific subject um, in the case of The Life of a Giant, Andre the Giant, the book that he did all about Andre the Giant, just kind of showing that this man was like this monstrous thing on television and in entertainment, but who he actually was, was a very depressed alcoholic. Um, and Andy Kaufman, the story here is, you know, he was this guy, like I said, who just was always trying to... like imitate the idols that he had and try to go a step further and say like how offensive can I be before people really start to truly hate me Um, and by the end of his life he you know people did truly hate him for some of the stuff that he did and it's, it's a really interesting thing I started I had like a fascination when I was in like early college late high school with Andy Kaufman because I saw that man in the moon movie that they made starring Jim Carrey and that movie portrays him as this wonderkind, like, genius dude who swindled the entire world and he realized that everything was a fake idea. It, it has this whole magic feel to it. And so by the end of the movie, they're like, is Andy Kaufman dead? Question mark. The long and short of it is, yes, he's dead. Um, but the movie makes it seem like maybe that was just his biggest joke. No, that's not the case. I think the Box Brown story here does a good job of settling any kind of confusion you may have had from the movie and anything that you read there's been a couple books about the character or about Andy Kaufman he's not a character he's a person and the what what was the most interesting part is that a lot of the actual facts came from interviews with friends and family of Andy Kaufman um, which is something I didn't think that they were into like the, the Kaufman family were not into doing interviews or talking about Andy or anything because there was this immense sadness that came with the sudden end of his life as well as like an almost an embarrassment for what he had been in some ways um, and I, I think when Man in the Moon came out there was I, I remember reading online that they didn't want to talk to anybody they didn't want to give interviews and so but but at least by this movie or by the time this book came out i guess that's changed i don't know or box brown is just a nicer guy to talk to because he's just kind of a lovable dude that could also be it but i liked the the whole book was very good and honestly like he has sources and articles and all this stuff at the back of the book which i didn't expect because i don't think he had that in some of his other stuff so if you're looking for a really cool biographical comic book like this one kicks ass i don't know if it's better than the the tetris book that box brown did but this one is very very good i'm it was worth every penny that i pr- paid for it so if you're if you're into that stuff i highly recommend it so you know um uh, that's me but let's talk about comic books that are coming out this upcoming week comic books are released on april 4th 2018 tia what are you excited for this week
2: well you know the wicked and the divine number 35 is coming out so
0: oh obviously. okay cool kara what are you excited for this week <laughs> <laughs> kidding kidding <laughs>
2: No, this arc is crazy. We're finally starting to actually get some answers to the questions that we've had for three freaking years.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it's almost kind of blowing my mind. And I actually find myself kind of reluctant to know. Like, I almost don't want to know.
0: Right. The air of mystery was half of the characters, right?
2: Sort of. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, you know, and I've never really been the at, like in the very first arc, I was kind of, I don't know, getting involved in fan theory chit-chat on the internet and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. it didn't take long for me to really pull back from that and just kind of be like, you know, I don't think that the most interesting thing about this story is, like, the literal plot of it. Like, I think that a lot of the... like the more meta conversation is is what's more interesting to me so I'm not going to try really hard to figure out like who did it or why this character did this thing I'm kind of more interested in asking like questions about the artistic choices and the setup of the story and that sort of you know how how things are done with color and art and things like that so for Mm -hmm. me like getting all of these answers thrown at me now i'm like oh oh wait oh yeah oh mm."
0: (laughs) i guess i guess i was interested in that but like could you just keep going with this story because like the circumstance is what actually makes the story interesting how characters react to this dramatic thing right or the series of dramatic things
2: uh, well, no, not so much that as just like, I had kind of put to the side and in my mind that any of these things happen, you know what I mean? Like I would read them and I'd be like, okay, yes, this happened. But then I would, I wouldn't obsess over them the way that a lot of fans do. And I'm not saying oh, it's sure. in, a, in a bad way. I, I've, cause like, you know, sometimes you read fan theories and, and they're fascinating and they've just combed through every little tiny detail of the plot and I'm like, damn, you know, that's dedication. I've, I admire that. You know, so I'm not saying it like as a bad thing. It just, I don't know. I felt like the I was getting more out of it looking at other things, and now that all of these uh, mysteries are kind of being wrapped up, it it's sort of like b- b- very emotional in a way because because I mean, it's going to end soon.
0: Yeah, I, they they plan this to be something around forty issues, right? Yep. Okay. Well, oh, seeing that big old number thirty-five is very scary then.
1: I think they're saying that there's another year.
0: Okay, okay.
1: The first couple arcs of The Wicked and the Divine, I liked the mystery aspect of it and the not knowing because the characters are gods and it just made me think about existing belief systems and deities in general and how it's all it's all hearsay. It's all interpretations from mortals about who these gods are and what they're doing so Mm -hmm. the mystery of the wicked and the divine just i just kind of accepted it because gods are supposed to be unknowable and the things that we do know or believe about them are written and rewritten and transferred by humans who are putting their own spin on it and are fallible so Exploring the world of the wicked and the divine was, is for me more about just the characters being interesting and the art being stunning and the overarching look at what it means to have a belief system, even if it's non conventional.
2: Mm-hmm. That's totally right. I think that ineffability is a crucial component of faith. And if you are a follower of the comic, so to speak, it's hard to have the curtain drawn back. Like, I'm kind of reluctant.
0: Is this going to be one of those books that Kieran and Jamie get drawn into because of this whole... This idea of, oh, you follow the comic? It's like a religion? <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know what? I don't know, but I always mean to ask Kieran, and I always forget when I'm talking to him, but there's a scene in Journey in a Mystery when they go to a pub to talk to Mephisto, and there's someone drawn in the pub that rem- like that looks a little bit like Kieran, and I've always wondered if he drew had himself drawn into it.
0: <laughs> or maybe that was a joke by the artist.
2: I know, right? Because I think that... It- wait, didn't they do that in Thor? Um recently didn't they draw themselves into a pub scene i don't know
0: maybe I, I i don't read that book regularly
2: i know i don't either i need to catch i have
0: up. i have all the trades but i haven't actually caught up
2: <laughs> we're we're good at reading
1: things
0: good we're great comic book readers <laughs> um kara what are you excited for this upcoming week
1: betty and veronica vixens number five So the Vixens series from Archie Comics is basically an alternate universe where Betty and Veronica are in a biker gang. (laughs) And I realize this is a trendy twist or trendy theme in comics right now, but I don't really care because it's Betty and Veronica. And as I keep saying, the Archie Comics characters work in whatever situation you drop them into as long as they retain their character. So Mm -hmm. you put Betty and Veronica in a biker gang. I'm going to want to read it.
2: I mean, biker gangs are pretty cool, even if they are kind of overly prevalent in media.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You could do worse. This is true. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, for me this week, I'm really excited for a new book called Isola that's Isola number one this is by Brendan Fletcher Carl on is a colorist and Aditya Bidikar is a letterer the synopsis is the captain of the royal guard has fled the capital city with the queen of Mar suffering under the effects of an evil spell Captain Rook's only hope for re- of returning Queen Olwyn to her throne and saving the kingdom from impending war lies on an island half a world away a place known in myth as Isola land of the dead I don't know what this book is at all I I saw the cover of it. I saw some in, like some interior previews, I believe, and I added it to my pull list. I think when it was announced a couple months ago, and I'm super excited because I'm a sucker for fantasy books, so I'm all in. That's all that I know. And Brendan Fletcher is pretty good writer, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Basically, it's it's if you like Miyazaki, you will like this book.
0: Yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, I think this is. Yeah, this is going to just be a cool fantasy book and I'm willing to try it. So jumping on board is something that I have almost no information about outside of the synopsis and the pretty covers. So that's that's pretty much me.
2: What more do you need?
1: Yeah. We will judge books by their covers here. <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> Some, sometimes, you know, we will. And if you're trying something new, sometimes you just need to say, you know what? That looks cool. i maybe recognize one or two of those names. Let's just try it.
2: Except, you know, what is the worst when they get a different artist for covers than interiors and then you're like disappointed.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> See, but <laughs> it, this is this is we've why have been burned before. Yeah. I, I do a lot of Googling around this stuff. Carl, Sch- yeah. Carl Kershaw's art is pretty. good. No,
2: it's beautiful. It, it yeah. fits the story perfectly.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to try this, you know, and if I don't like it, maybe uh, maybe I'll wait for the trade try the trade but I'll at least dive into number one because why not my pull list isn't large enough i guess <laughs>
2: <laughs> is it in triple digits yet no
0: no i've never never hopefully never mm-hmm. maybe never <laughs> maybe never <laughs>
2: So last week, Kara, Kate, and I talked about our feminist agenda, and we kept using the word porny in kind of a a negative way to describe comics that we felt like were a bit of an affront to our sensibilities from a feminist perspective. And thinking about that, I realized, you know, porny doesn't have to be inherently negative, and I think it would be useful for us to unpack a little bit what we meant by that as a as a negative and then maybe pivot and talk a little bit about adult or erotic comics um, porn comics and some of the titles that get it right and what are the hallmarks of of good adult comics so uh kara and mike and i are going to try to dig into that a little bit mike
0: is
1: going to try very hard not to giggle
0: Yeah, (laughs) I am, for some reason, a, you know, almost 30-year-old man who still feels, like, giggly and weird about talking about sexy things with people who I'm just friends with. Because that's, to me, that's like a, it's a very intimate, like, personal, you know, thing with another person. But, I mean, there's nothing that says you can't have an an honest adult conversation about it. So, I'm going to try my hardest.
2: I'm pretty sure that my mom and Kara's parents both listen to the show on the (laughs) regulars, so... Hi mom. So, Hi dad. Warning. Hi mom. <laughs> I'm over 18. I'm sure <laughs> this is fine.
0: Too. Yeah. So I guess maybe before we get into it, we're going to be talking about some explicit ish things. So just a heads up for anyone out there. But I guess the thing that so when we first started talking about what this topic would be, the first thing that came to mind for me was Sunstone by uh, Stepan Sajic. Because to me, that book feels very sexy and beautiful. And I really love his art. But on the on the whole, it doesn't feel like it's It's like pornographic, you know, it doesn't feel like someone's reading it in order to, you know, gain some kind of sexual pleasure out of it. It's like it's using the like sexual nature of the characters in order to tell a very compelling story about relationships. And I think reading that book kind of opened my eyes to oh, just because there are you know beautiful men and women in a comic book and they you know have abs of steel or they're you know voluptuous shaped women or whatever and they're attractive that doesn't mean that this is something that someone's kind of like getting off on, and I'm I'm looking for more of that. So I don't know if you guys have suggestions as well, but um, I kind of matured a little bit in reading that book, <laughs> I guess.
2: Well, you know, I think that it's. It is easy to say that if something is erotic, but it also has a story that it, then it's somehow more elevated than something that is explicitly made with the intent to arouse, mm-hmm. and and I want to maybe challenge that idea a little bit because there's sure. nothing really wrong with with arousal and fantasy and and you know what I mean like I th- for me the difference between the good and bad here is that you have to acknowledge that if something is is a fantasy or w- intended for arousal or pleasure i really like to see the subjectivity of the creator in the work like if there's okay. not a, if there's not a if a story to quote unquote justify it some sort of hand of the author, for me, helps to make it feel like it isn't uh, being derogatory or exploitative in any way. Whereas I think that there is some pornographic media that the way that the characters are portrayed it's almost like they're being objectified to the point of making them like the butt of a joke. It It's like, for me, this is often content that is like super rapey. And um, it just makes me feel like the humanity of, of, of those characters is just the joke to the people who make and read those books. And I realize those people may have no interest in participating in conversations about this. But, you know, I think that it's worth thinking about the parameters of that conversation and how we can elevate a useful discourse and really highlight the voices of, of creators who uh, are thinking about how they can portray sexuality and fantasy and allow everyone to just have a good time without feeling like it's kind of taking their humanity or their dignity you know does that make sense
0: yeah like you're looking for author intent like you're trying you you want to be able to see the author's intent even if it's not necessarily like story driven kind of
2: i wouldn't even say intent so much as their subjectivity like this is my fantasy and it's about me it's whereas where, where it centers the the author instead of what is being done to this character.
0: Gotcha. You know,
2: I, and because intent doesn't matter. I don't care what the author's intent is. You could make a really dis- like disturbing porn comic and maybe your intent is just to, I don't know, get off because that's your thing. But maybe it makes me feel like shit, and I'm going to call you out on on how gross it makes me feel. Like it wasn't your intention, but but that was still the result. I I'm sure it's hard to set to step back from that, where people are receiving your work in a way you didn't intend. But I think that when you're dealing with something as delicate as this, as sexuality and identity and all of that, you kind of just have to maybe accept that people are not wrong in the way they're responding to your work mm-hmm. and and if you genuinely did not mean any harm then like don't be a douche about it if it does cause harm
0: that that feels like a very 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 fine line to write
2: i know i don't know where Most it of is this is a
1: fine line yeah
0: i mean i guess that yeah that was kind of what I, what I was trying to get to i guess it's a fine line but like it is there and it is something like as a creator in this type of medium and of that using that type of story or creating these types of comics you know like it it is something you should be aware of right
1: like if you're an artist you can't control how your art is going to be viewed or interpreted so you're it's it's almost like once you create a piece of art your opinion about it is only so relevant because everyone's going to have their own interpretation of what it means to them and how it makes them feel basically
2: yeah people's sexual preferences and pleasures and fantasies don't necessarily mean that their political views are any less valid like we had a hangout with a listener who was like a little uncomfortable with being attracted to or like thinking that certain characters were sexy and you know, we we sort of talked about, well, you know, the creator made those characters kind of to be a little sexy. That's not the only thing about them. There's, they're like full characters and, and being sexy is just part of it. And, you know, the characters were made by a woman who is like kind of speaking for her own identity. And I, and so like going back to what I said before, like she's putting her own subjectivity into it, and so it's not really objectifying anyone to pick up on that because she's putting it in into the character.
0: Right. I mean, the the book we were talking about was Motor Crush, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lola,
2: yeah. Lola and Domino. There are some sexy characters. Like.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. There's nothing. <laughs> you can't deny that that uh, Babztar went you know into those characters thinking like not only are they fantastic characters but they they look very good while they're being badasses. (laughs) and i don't think there's anything wrong with that and i think that's pretty much what we had that conversation about was that there it's okay to think that but there's more to them than that and it's very apparent in the story
2: but you know what there's other uh, adult books that are explicitly like porny books and you know, I think that we in the episode last week kept calling things porny because the porniness was being inserted into contexts that it wasn't adding anything um constructive to the character or to the reader or to the story, you know, like I don't need to pick up a mainstream twelve, you know, PG thirteen Black Widow or Wonder Woman comic, and see her drawn like you traced a porn like shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Or somebody retweeted a a drawing of Wonder Woman where it was like an upskirt shot and her entire ass cheek was showing. Like, yeah, that's not useful or constructive. But you know what? Tarot Witch of the Black Rose is an adult comic made by um, Jim Ballant and Holly Golightly um, for Broadsword Comics. And there's a lot of TNA in this book. This book is like all TNA and mm-hmm. and like sex scenes and like weird magical creatures, er, erotica. <laughs> I,
0: I just... was very worried you were going to say magical penises and I was like, uh-oh. Well, there are those, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and also <Of> magical
2: <laughs> tentacles and all sorts of magical vaginas and, you know. Sure. But like when you read it, You would definitely describe it as porny, but Mm -hmm. like not in a bad, I mean, not in a derogatory way. You know what I mean? Because yeah, I think
0: porny is like a word that has. There's a little bit. It's it's kind of a word that's been used to describe things derogatorily, but maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be. I think like the connotation of like oh that's really porny is like you you grab all the negative aspects of you know pornographic materials about you know the the mistreatment of women and, and men and things like that but maybe like there is porn that is that can be you know and is okay and it's like this is someone's job this is something they're doing and it's it is okay to observe it like it's there for you to observe it's okay to observe that
2: like you get the sense when you read tarot that the creators just want everyone to have a good time and i right. think for me like that makes it a big difference
0: you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because there was a book that we had talked about reading before this. And so I figured I'd s- spend spend some time and actually check it out because I'd never heard of it before. Uh, Menage a Three. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is- Menage a Trois. <laughs> Menage a Me- Trois. <laughs> well, well it says Menage a Trois, but the number has the number three in it. I don't know. That's Trois. Yes, trois mean,
1: means three. Trois is French yes, for but, okay. three. Gis-
0: Giselle okay.
2: Goss is Canadian. I'm pretty, yeah.
0: Okay. So, yeah, it's a Canadian, like, webcomic that was collected in... A, in print and digital editions and stuff so you can go to the website and you can read the whole thing or majority of it or something i read the first probably 50 or 60 strips and um what was interesting about it is that thing that you just mentioned Tia. like the whole book is very sexual and it's kind of like got some you know weird anime influence or whatever in a couple of different ways where you know woman you know her top falls off or whatever and this the main one of the main characters his nose starts bleeding you know classic stupid anime manga tropes um but at the whole on the on the whole the book feels like everyone's just trying to have a good time it's very like highly sexual and it's very the book itself is focused around like sexual things with these three roommates that live in this apartment but it never feels like abusive to anybody it never like it's all about all of the characters having a good time and being happy together in their own ways, in their own, you know, sexual preferences in the way the things that they like, the things they don't like. And it's it's very sex positive, which I liked a lot about the book. And no character is left out or taken advantage of, which I like a lot. It's in, in like because it's in a comedic way. It's, it's very well done.
2: I don't think that's to say that that adult comics have to be comedic and and positive in their story and in their like tone in order to be good sure. i've read some pretty dark adult but mostly in the manga uh, genre where like one of my favorite ones it's called snm by mio morale and it's basically about this woman who's like whose mother dies or like basically this woman's life was inadvertently destroyed by this guy so the end it's a revenge story where mm-hmm. she's like trying to not only ruin this man's life but also like ruin the lives of everyone in, that he loves she's like oh, real. it's really dark and twisted mm-hmm. and there's a lot of extremely graphic sex in this book because one of the ways that she is trying to get revenge on him is to like get his wife to cheat on him with this tutor who's really like a prostitute that she hired to seduce the mom and then they have all this like this like super like the book is called S&M for reasons let's
0: just oh, okay. you know and then she like
2: <laughs> kidnaps the guy and keeps him in a cage oh god my favorite scene is where he's like he he realizes that she falls asleep after she has an orgasm and so he's like I have to give her an orgasm and then she'll fall asleep and then I can escape but then <gasps> he realizes like oh no I have no idea how to give a woman an orgasm and you're just like dope. <laughs>
0: oh that old chestnut
2: (laughs) (laughs) so you know i mean i guess there are elements of humor in it but but you know it it's very very abusive in a lot of ways but you still don't get the sense that it's being done lightly or that the humanity of the characters is the butt of a joke or at, that the that the sex scenes are happening you know at the expense of, of the reader's humanity which which i really get from from like you know avatar boundless books for example i just feel like yeah, okay. These are not for me, and you've made that very clear. But they are about yeah. my body.
0: Yeah, that's uh, well. It and you know, it's funny that you say that because even in describing that book, I feel like there is character depth and there is a human inside of all these characters that uh, these characters are human in some way right like you totally see that there is like repercussion and there is emotional like destruction that's happening and you know of all these things that this person is apparently doing whereas in avatar books it just feels like bodies like numbers Mm -hmm. and pictures and then there's no there's nothing real about anybody they're just a thing that where all this bad shit happens to them, and you're just witnessing it, like like you're watching a car crash, you know, um, and you take out the, you're just completely objective that there are people involved. You just see a car hit another car, and you're like, oh, that looks bad, and you move on, but you realize there's people involved, like a person inside of a car just hit another car that contained another human, and like if you if you don't think about that, like or when you do think about that, it can like really screw you up because it's you just like wiped off their existence and saying, oh, look at that car crash, and moved on. Um, yeah, if and that, that makes any sense, what I'm trying to say there,
2: it totally does, and that's why I really like it when the artist's subjectivity really comes through in the work because then their humanity is also is is part of it
0: too. Mm-hmm. Man, I need to read more of this stuff. <laughs> I need. I feel like I need to like deep dive into like some good, mature content. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All like, I do is read teenagers' books. Some of the. <laughs>
1: so, it, it's interesting that Tia, you were talking about the book S and M for being. A, a darker version of this that still works and leaves you not feeling gross because I was we were talking about how difficult it is to figure out where the line is for something being just like arousing but comfortable as opposed to making you feel gross like the the french publisher muzardine does a lot of erotic comics but the majority of them make me feel gross and uncomfortable because they feature a severe power dynamic imbalance between the participants and it's very clear that those books are drawn and written about just like men having power over young girls in a really rapey uncomfortable way And Mm -hmm. so those are being made to arouse a certain type of audience, and it makes me uncomfortable even knowing that these things are being made specifically to target people who get off on that kind of fantasy. And so that's something that makes me feel uncomfortable.
2: I think those books would have less power if we were more able to talk about like why that's a problem in real life and and take real life action to to like protect people who are exploited in those ways and so it's hard because on one hand you you know there's this idea that like people get off on certain things that doesn't you know necessarily mean that they believe those things should also happen in real life and especially in comics it's like no actor is being asked to even like act this scene out. It's literally just drawings. So, like, really, who is it hurting? But I think that the problem comes up when you talk about the real-life scenarios that this comes from. And I feel like people shut down conversations and say, oh, you know, free of speech or blah, blah, whatever. And it's like, in order for these books to be to actually like be more free to do their freak thing, we need to be able to criticize them and talk about what the problems are in real life that they reflect.
0: Mhm. I mean creating something like that it, it, even if it doesn't it, it isn't harming any actual physical person, it doesn't mean that it's not informing others about things that could be used to harm others. You know what I mean? And this is this is all types of violent comics, you know, like where you you read about these intricate murder stories or something like that it, it, when it it's it's something that just it, it, it can oh, totally influ- influence someone in a very negative way
2: yeah like garth ennis's punisher is sort of gratuitous in the same way where it's like yeah. yes it's a story and and you know all of that but we have to be able to talk about the real world implication of this scenario in in order for the book to have freedom to exist as a piece of art that's that's like reflecting our culture you can't shut down conversations about it and i think that's kind of where the problem for me comes in more like i'm not even so much mad that these things exist like for some people that's the kind of story or the kind of fantasy they want to they want to read about and that's fine but we also have to be able to like critique them in in other contexts
0: right
1: so mike you were looking go ahead go ahead I think you were looking for some more recommendations of things where we're we're, we're approving them <laughs> yeah so a, I mean
0: I genuinely I, I don't necessarily always seek this kind of stuff out you know I'm 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 very conservative in that fashion like I this isn't the kind of stuff I necessarily want to read about because that's not my fantasy like that's not my I don't want to read you know that's not the type of escape that I want when I'm reading comic books but that doesn't mean that I'm opposed to it so it's never it's never something where I, I I'm actively searching about it, but I'm not going to turn down a good story that involves these types of themes because a good story is, is something that I want to read. And you know, this type of stuff is something I don't have a lot of expertise in, in general, just because I've never, I haven't read a lot about it. So, I mean, I'll definitely take any recommendations I can get to enlighten myself because there's, That's half of it. It's just enlightening yourself to say, like, well, here is a a good example of the type of stuff we're talking about compared to the thing. My go-to thought about what these types of comics are in my head, probably before talking to the two of you about it, was this nasty avatar stuff that you see, and you know, this very explicit, like, very bizarre manga and anime that you see or that I've seen on the internet before. So, gladly.
2: (laughs) I think it's worth pointing out, particularly with Yaoi or um, Boy Love manga, um, that it's a way for women creators, uh, Japanese creators mainly, to explore certain taboo aspects of their own sexualities uh, with, with, you know, to male characters and there are a lot mm-hmm. of tropes in those books that are really alarming around consent and things like that that um that are really not like it sounds like such a cop out to say this but they're really not meant to be taken literally if you put them in the context of you know that for for women it's very taboo to enjoy sex or to be sexual or you know to uh, think about these very extreme sexual scenarios and so they almost are like using these Stories as avatars to just explore their own sexuality. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't always put a disclaimer on a book like that. But that, I would say, like, the weird, there is weird manga stuff where it's just like, you know, uh, the ages of the characters or the consent is pretty dubious. But a lot of times there's a cultural reason for that that isn't like what it seems. And then I would also say, like, for Western comics, Iron uh, Iron Circus Comics puts out very, very good adult content that is not Avatar Boundless porn and that isn't the sort of more, um, I don't know how I would describe, it isn't, it isn't like the yaoi stuff that you kind of maybe would be
1: uncomfortable with lacking context like that. Gotcha. So uh, you recently reminded me, Tia, of the webcomic Starfighter.
2: That was a a recommendation to me from Brandon Graham.
1: Yeah. So I'm like halfway through it and almost immediately it reminded me of a lot of the yaoi tropes that you kind of touched on. Like the meet cute between the two protagonists is they're sharing a room together and the second they enter the room, the more aggressive one pins the like weaker one against the wall and bites his mouth to leave a scar and mark him up so that none of the other characters will like bother him. Wait, what? What? So, (laughs) but, and so I was like, oh, okay, Uh, I guess this is just porn without plot. But then as the story progresses, you see there's a lot more nuance between the interpersonal relationships between the characters. So it wasn't just, a generic trope fest and there's a lot of nuance going on and it it's an erotic comic but there's enough other stuff happening where it's not just the erotic aspects of it
2: you know what huh. though I think that so I think about the fan fiction that I've read and written let's be honest in the sure. you know and I think that there's something that like all of those tropes are great. Like you love these tropes when you're reading them in prose, and then you see them drawn out, and it's just like whoa. And so sometimes I have to sort of step back and be like, you know, sometimes desire is is like extreme and weird, and that's okay. And the place to actually like indulge and explore that is in like arts and media, and maybe like you don't bite someone in real life, but you like can. There are there are safe parameters that you can set up to explore those fantasies and i think that fiction is a great way to set those parameters you know what i mean hmm.
0: so i didn't even like consider you were, fan fiction
1: well okay, so, so tia mentioned some of the the iron circus stuff and a lot of a lot of those uh works from that publisher are anthologies where it's just a series of different erotic stories from different creative teams, different creators, and mm-hmm. it's it's more or less all escapism and stuff that just for various reasons would not happen. Like one of the stories in one of the anthologies is a few pages where it's basically a tentacly computer getting off a girl who is in some kind of relationship with it. And just really stretching your mind past what is physically possible. And it, it does feel very fan y because a lot of the things that pop up in these anthologies are things that you do see in the realms of erotic fan fiction, because fanfic writers are extremely creative. Oh yeah. Right. And again, like the visual representation of it is maybe like makes you confront more what your fantasy is or what you think your fantasy is. And you get to think about it in a different way. But again, the, the tone of these anthologies is not like it doesn't feel gross or at least like for me it doesn't feel gross reading them it's just saying oh this is what this is made for i am an audience for some of these things some of these things are maybe not my bag but it's all about exploring in a safe way like tia said
2: they also do some
1: graphic novel, adult graphic novels.
2: Letters for Lucardo is really beautiful. It's, uh, I'm going to say this artist's name wrong, and I'm really, really sorry. Nora Haikila, I think. I'm. We need to add her to our database. Our pronunciation guide. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's kind of like a historical romance
1: LGBTQ vampire thing. I mean sold okay you know i was gonna say i i have a list of about (laughs) 10 people right now who i'm immediately going to go recommend this to (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. Um it's about a, an older gentleman who works at the Royal Palace and as a scribe and so then he has this client, this aristocratic client who it turns out they develop feelings for each other and the aristocratic aristocratic client is like a vampire or something and there's the sex scenes are very ex- explicit. They I mean like it's it's a sexy adult book, but it hits a lot of character identities that you maybe don't always get to see like especially in Mm -hmm. vampire fiction it's like give me a break like some you know 100 year old is really gonna want to hang out with a teenager no one wants to hang out with teenagers (laughs) but like (laughs) you know (laughs) you
0: know he's hanging out with a teenager for one reason yeah you know
2: (laughs) but like so i i actually really love that that the the mortal in this love story is an older man because it's just like i don't know it's touching and beautiful and sexy
0: well, you'd think you know that's the thing you know vampires or you know immortal beings like that. You'd think that they would eventually f- pretty much explore the entire spectrum of sexuality because it's like it's it's gonna get dull if you're just kind of <laughs> like focusing on one type of person your whole yeah, life.
2: Yeah, probably
0: your whole immortal goddamn life. life. <laughs> yeah
2: oh man it would be super creepy i want to write a vampire story where the vampire just like seeks out people who are exactly the same for like for hundreds of years that would be creepy Um,
0: oh man (laughs) (laughs) see now i feel weird about that like (laughs) he's got a type and it's very specific oh god anyway Uh, yeah this i mean this has been incredibly enlightening i'll say that so far
1: yeah Yeah. Uh, and uh, something that I think TM mentioned earlier about I I don't think erotic comics become more or less valid if there's a plot or not. Sure. Like, sure. and so a really good example of an erotic comic that's like good and sex positive and has virtually no plot is Chester Five Thousand X Y V by Jess Fink. Okay. And the the premise is. There is a woman married to an inventor, and it's this is kind of like a Victorian steampunky thing, but drawn in a really uh, fluid animated style. And so it's not too detail oriented. And the inventor is so busy working on his stuff that he doesn't want to take the time to like satisfy his wife's sexual appetites. So he builds her a robot to have sex with her instead so that he can go back to inventing. Oh, And sure. so the whole story, of, as one does. So the story from there <laughs> is just basically like watching this woman and this robot have sex and then the inventor getting jealous of his creation and then he goes <laughs> off and has sex with somebody else and then there's a spinoff story where she goes what? off and has sex with somebody else. And so it's basically all porn without plot, but the underlying... Uh, What the underlying theme is just no plot. (laughs) There's no plot. plot. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds pretty plot-driven. It's it's not very plot-driven because most of it is sex scenes and various various incorporations of the different people all having sex with one another. But it's it's all about the like. Sure, the main focus is the sex, but it's really all about the the connections and there's no, there's virtually no dialogue in the entire story. So it's all okay. about these nonverbal communications and connections. And you can really see how these characters are feeling. And it's not just about their arousal. It's about their emotions as well. And that's what I think makes it uh, a good example of what erotic comics can be in a positive way.
2: Yeah. Um, another th- aspect I think of being a po- a positive Slash responsible consumer of adult content is like you don't get to shame people for their sexuality or sex work and also consume media that like is uh, is sexy like you don't you don't get to participate in the in the capital capitalizing on their sexuality if you don't also support them as human beings like Mm-hmm. You know, supporting sex workers rights and supporting like victims of sex trafficking without sex shaming consensual sex work and like, um, you know, not slut shaming women and not taking advantage of people's sexualities. You know what I mean? So like, I think that that I am less concerned about people enjoying sex in art and media and I'm more concerned with the way that that people compartmentalize their sexuality in a way that makes them like replicate power dynamics or behaviors that are really harmful in real life surrounding people's sexuality and that you know what I mean like it be a good person in real life. And it's less of a problem to have these maybe super extreme uh, adult books floating around in your library. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I see. I, I totally get what you're saying. It's, 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 you can, you should be, if if you're going to enjoy this type of content, it's, it's, you also have to understand that there are real people that are exactly similar to those characters and that you should support them as well. I totally get that. This, is, this has all been very enlightening, like I said.
1: Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Mike, I feel like you've learned so much here today.
0: I, I Honestly, I, I, hope, I hope listeners out there are getting the same feeling that I am. Like This, is, this makes me feel less weird about those types of books, um, or I guess not weird, but uncomfortable. And I think that's that's the goal here. We're fixing comics week like after drop. week here. One episode at, at a books. time. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I guess, you know, unless the final thoughts on, I guess, erotic comics and these these types of adult mature content books. Because um, otherwise we can wrap up and maybe we'll do a follow-up episode, question mark, Let's with have, a special yeah. guest, question mark. <laughs> question mark. We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I guess, you know, you can follow everyone on the internet. You can find us all on Twitter. You can find Tia at, at Portrait of Madam X on Twitter. You, you can find Kara at KaraZam on Twitter, as well as on Medium as Kara.Zam, where she writes about Archie every week, which is fantastic. You can find You can find me on Twitter at, at Mike Rappin. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. Where we post all sorts of things throughout all hours of the night, and we post polls almost every Friday. This week's poll was, how does Alfred take his tea? And nope, No sugar. Hey, you know, with go vote. Please, please go vote. Um, <laughs> <laughs> highly encourage that.
1: We have a Goodreads group with weekly threads. This week's thread was top three favorite comic covers. You can find us at our website, ircbpodcast.com. Please rate the show, subscribe, tell your friends. You can email
2: the show. We're at ircb at
0: one thing that's really cool about ratings is that we're currently five stars on iTunes. And we want to keep it that way. So go vote and rate <laughs> all that stuff. Infinity Shred does all the music for this show. They are the absolute best band in the universe. Xander's a wizard, super cool guy, super buff guy, and he's fantastic. I want to say thank you to everyone. <laughs> thank you to Tia and Kara for being on the show. And until next time, beware, for Galactus is coming. Dun, dun, dun. This is the I Read Comic Books podcast. I am your host, Mike Rapping. That's not my name. <laughs> Can't say my own fucking name.
1: <laughs> Maybe it's us, Tia.
2: Sandra, Maybe we're the problem. thats B-roll. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm so mad at myself right now.
1: Xander is gonna kill us. I know. He is gonna kill us. Just take a breath, right, Let's, Mike, you let's this. do this.
0: Let's do this for real.